so, you know, I grew up in church world, um, you know, and as a kid, my mom and dad were very involved in church. Um, so, like, my mom became a Christian basically when I was, like, one years old. And since then, um, I've been in church whether I wanted to be in it or, or not. It just was kind of part of our rhythms as a family. Um, and so we very rarely missed Sunday morning. And then we also were always involved in small groups. Like, growing up, we were always involved in a small group ministry or Bible study. And when I was about 10 years old, uh, I started going to this small group. It was in Denver, Colorado. It was a part of a, a vineyard church. And there was this guy who led the group, and his name was Alan, and he was from South Africa. And the way I knew he was from South Africa, because he talked funny, just like our old pastor, Wes. Okay? Same thing. And as a kid, I just remember, like, being super attracted to this guy, Alan, though. He was about six foot six, um, and when I was ten, I was, like, four feet tall, and he just was, like, so giant. And, but he had this bubbling personality. When, whenever he talked to me, it was like I mattered to him. I remember that as a 10-year-old kid. I, would, I actually liked going to this really dumb Bible study. That's what I thought. But I liked going because Alan was there. And Alan would take time to talk to me. And it was really interesting because he had relocated to the United States and had gotten married and had a daughter. Um, I also liked going to this Bible study because the daughter was the same age as me. But that's a different story. And uh, so I was there, and I was 10 years old, and, and he would always come and talk to me. And there were things that he started saying that made a huge impact in my life uh, going on. In, in fact, I would say this Bible study is where I learned about worship. I remember this one time, we would sit, we would all be in this room, this living room, and we'd be singing songs. And, you know, it was like at the heart of, at that time, the vineyard in the, you know, around 1990, we were making a lot of contemporary music, putting out CDs all the time. We were singing all these songs that have now become like classics. And, and I remember he took the time and he stopped as he was playing guitar and he just looked at me and he's like, hey, you know, one of the reasons, Luke, that we raise our hands is because when we raise our hands to God, we're simply saying, God, I want you to fill me up. I want you to fill me up right now. And then he said, and when we lift our hands and God fills us up, we overflow and it flows into the people that are standing next to us. And it's like, at the time, I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. And then later on, I was like, I don't know if I theologically believe that. And now I'm like, oh, I think that's probably right. I think that's probably right. And it was, but it was interesting because, I mean, as a 10-year-old boy um, who was super into ice hockey and played a lot of sports, like lifting my hands was like, oh, no, not going to do it. And I remember going to very charismatic churches and and like praying that people wouldn't be weird and hands wouldn't be up and all that stuff. But now, like fast forward, I now see that as an aspect of worship because I think going back to the idea of surrender, there's nothing more surrendering toward God is when we surrender our bodies and we're willing to engage in worship with our whole entire being. And so I learned a lot about worship in that small group. And I, I, to this day, every time that I'm engaging in singing and I'm lifting my hands, I can't help but think of that moment where Alan just kind of prodded me a little bit and helped me see the practical ramifications of what worship is. It's also where I learned about spiritual disciplines. I, I remember as a kid, when I was 10 years old, um, learning about daily prayer and daily Bible reading as a way of life. I remember being taught that, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to spend regular time praying, which I just think is simply talking to God, communicating with God. It doesn't need to be thy's, thou's. It's just the way we communicate with God. And I also think that we should be reading the Bible, right? And so regularly doing that, I learned about that because I learned 
from Alan that worship is a lifestyle. It's not just a Sunday morning thing, it's actually a lifestyle. So all seven days of the week, there are certain practices that we can participate in that help shape us and form us to be more like Jesus. And I remember learning that, and I was like, okay, you know, I'm 10 years old, kind of, kind of getting it a little bit. But the one thing that to this day stands out as being one of the most important things that I learned from Alan and from that small group is that it's where I learned about community. It's where I learned about community. So there was this lady. She was from Boston. And is there anybody from Boston in the room? I just want to make sure I don't offend you. Okay. They are rude. (laughs) Right? I mean, they got that dumb accent. No offense. But they're palking the cause and the hob all the time. And this lady named Mary was a part of our small group. And I just remember, I was like, everything about her as a 10-year-old kid just annoyed me. Mostly because she was on to me and was always constantly telling me what I shouldn't be doing. Because I shouldn't have been doing it, all right? And uh, so I remember early on, I, I was, you know, not a fan of this lady. But then I also started hearing a little bit about her story. So she's a single mom. She had a daughter. She moves from Boston um, and then moves to Denver. And she moves to Denver, and she has no friends, and she's struggling through life trying to make it. And she starts attending this vineyard church, and she gets plugged into Alan's small group, and then she's, like, part of the family. And I remember as a kid, like, even though I found her super annoying, she was Aunt Mary because she was a super annoying aunt. And she did all the aunt things, right? But it made a huge difference in my life because as I got older— she became part of the family, like for real. And I saw it for her, not only was she a family member, but she, she was able to receive family member type of things. I mean, it was, it was crazy because I think that small group within this vineyard church, it was like closer than family. I think it was the place where I saw people express love. I saw people express care and compassion. It was where I got to see annoying ants be annoying ants. And so I, I just really learned a lot from, from Alan. And so I've been thinking a lot about that the last couple of, of weeks, a couple of months. I've been thinking about community and what community is. By the way, pause. Alan, or not Alan. <laughs> Why did I call you Alan? <laughs> They're leaving. Anthony here. You have to, we were talking about you. Say hi to Anthony. Anthony's, that's men's ministry guy right there, working with kids. <laughs> He's just as impactful as Anthony, though. Anyway, so I've been thinking a lot about community and what it is and what it isn't. And it seems like, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it seems like community is kind of missing in in society now. It's kind of missing in society, and and it feels like it's missing in a lot of people's lives. Uh, I mean, one way that I think we can see that is even though we have technology that allows us to communicate with people in other countries, we've become more disconnected. Have you noticed that? I mean, it's crazy. Like, one of the things that I that I both do and then also try not to do is if you ever go to a restaurant, have you ever looked around and watched how families eat dinner at restaurants? It's like everybody's got a phone in their hand, yeah. You know, and and I remember um, when Don and I, you know, we had a really rough patch in our marriage for about, we've been married for 20 years, for about 18 years, it was really rough. And uh, (laughs) now we went through this really rough patch of, of marriage for a while and then we we're pastoring, and so, like, I think we both were like, we can't be pastoring and helping people with their marriages, but also um, have such a terrible marriage. And so we, 
went and got a bunch of marriage counseling and it was like so helpful because after we had done about six sessions, we were like professionals. We're like, oh, we can totally help you. Like, what do you need help with, you know? And, but we started doing a lot of marriage counseling for a season and that was like primarily what we did in this community that we we're passionate in. <clears throat> and one of the things that I started observing though is that when we go out to eat, um, what kind of, I think what kind of spurred us on is I'd be in a restaurant and I see two 70-year-old people mar- uh, who are married sitting there and they wouldn't talk at all for the hour that they were sitting together. And I was like, either that's beautiful or it's terrible, right? I mean, on one hand, it can be beautiful if you're at a place where you can just sit and you don't have to talk, <sighs> right? Are you with me? Like, it can be good, right? Introverts are like, amen, so good, right? And so extroverts, we can learn from that. But it's also, it can be kind of a, kind of a problem if you're, if you're together and you're, you're married and you're unable to communicate. And now it just seems, it seems like, it seems like we're more disconnected due to the technological advances that have happened and many other reasons. And then I think it's also a practical implication from the pandemic. I mean, you know, one of the early concerns that many people had was that it seemed like because we became more forced disconnected, it became like we had more anxiety, we had more stress, more depression, um, there's more people that have felt lonely, and there's been a major toll in mental illness and emotional stability, and there's just a lot of things that have caused people to feel uh, like disconnected and alone and unable to connect with people and not knowing where they fit and how, how they can be a part of, of society. And a lot of this gets to our culture, I think, because it seems like we have a lot less depth culturally speaking, not just the church, but culturally speaking, it seems like we have a lot less depth in our sense of community. And, and it feels like a lot of times our relationships are a lot shallower in this, in this world. Um, I, I'm 43, but I swear I'm going on 72 because I was at a, uh, I was in public recently and I was watching people and I was like, I wanted to be like, get off my lawn. I mean, I could feel it coming on like I was like what is going on these kids they don't respect anything and I'm like pick up your trash and that it was but it was interesting because it wasn't just young people right it wasn't just young people who are who are culturally speaking unable to connect with people or or who have this inability to maybe um, not have just shallow relationships I think there's there's something happening in society at large that needs the church to stand up and be the church. That's what I think needs to happen. And so this is, I think, where the church does come in, and it's where we can stand out as something different, something unique. I think we can be a community of God's people where people from every way of life can come together and find their identity in Jesus. And for this reason, what we're doing this month is we're spending some time talking about community. And so for the month of September, we're going to be in the sermon series that we're we're calling This Is Us, because us is a big idea in the Bible. And this morning, what I want to kind of do is I want to do an upside-down sermon, meaning I want to talk for a little bit, and then I want to wrap up our sermon by reading a passage of Scripture, which normally we read a passage of Scripture, and then we spend time extrapolating it and exegeting it and thinking about how it would apply in today's lives. This morning, I want to just talk a little bit to kind of set the table and to nudge us as a community— of individuals who are called to be a collective community. I want to I want to kind of nudge us towards some ideas. And so when I think of the church, there's a lot of different things that I think of. 
I mean, I've been in church my whole entire life. I've seen all the bad. I've seen all the good. I have a lot of reasons why I jokingly always say that because I've been in church forever, I need a lot of therapy, okay? But I do think of the church, and I think we need to set a goal to be a family. And that word means different things for people. In fact, for a long time, I was really hesitant in church as a pastor to talk about the church as family because many people have really dysfunctional, messed up family lives, right? And so because they, they've had this experience with really bad parents or bad siblings or whatever it is, or maybe absent family members, when they hear the word family about church, it's like the last positive thing that they can experience. But I think what we need to do is we need to back up and realize that the Bible actually gives us a definition and a summary of what the church should be and what the family should be too. And we should set our sights on that direction. So I, I really do think that the church needs to be a family. It needs to be a family. And in the ancient world of the Bible, you know, the world that the Bible was written in over the course of, of time was a very cruel world. When you, when you study history, you realize that, like, for example, you know, infant mortality rates were, were, were very high. It was very common for children to, to die in the ancient world. I mean, society at large was very brutal. Very, very brutal. In the first century, you have gladiator games. People are, 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 are fighting and killing each other for sport in front of thousands of people just for the sheer enjoyment of it. And in, in, in many ways, mercy or compassion and hospitality were completely absent in that, in that world. It was only reserved. Mercy, compassion, and love, and hospitality, it was only reserved for people who were related to you by blood or by marriage. Everybody else did not matter did not matter. And so it was a really different world. But along comes Jesus. And along comes the church that Jesus calls. And, and in this brutal and cruel world, Jesus comes along and says, love your neighbors as yourself. Pray for your enemies. Bless those that persecute you. And then he tells his disciples, he says, listen, you want to know how the world is going to know you? The world is going to know you by your love. Right? I mean, it is so countercultural. Last week, I, I kind of just talked a little bit about this, how in the, in the early church, the early church, the people who made up the church communities, they were so different from the way that the world functioned that they were considered the most stunningly different people to ever be seen. The church was so different. They were, they were known for being different. So there's a lot of reasons why I think the church has made a huge impact over the course of history. In those early days, the, the church was just a super tight-knit community. I mean, they had to be. They had to be a super tight community because they were family and because if they didn't have each other, they wouldn't be able to survive. And so the church in the early days was a community of people who had been marked by grace in such a significant way that they were willing to die for their beliefs. You think about that. The early Christians for the first 400 years of church history were willing to die for their faith. I feel like sometimes a lot of people who profess to be Christians aren't even willing to take a paper cut for their faith, right? It's like, oh, I don't know. You're asking a lot here. You're asking a lot. But the early church is so convinced. They're so captured by this vision of Jesus and his kingdom that they're willing to give everything away. They're willing to sell everything to follow him. They're willing to to help anybody who has need, they're willing to even die for their faith. 
And I think that this just gets to a lot of the cultural issues that we have in the church because sometimes I just wonder if it's like, is our faith real faith or is it just a convenient thing? Because if you really are following Jesus, if you've been following Jesus for a while, you're going to realize that sometimes following Jesus is very inconvenient, isn't it? It's very inconvenient. In fact, I remember when I first started reading the Gospels, like I started reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I was reading it, like, to actually read it. And I remember seeing Jesus, and I was like, man, this dude is walking around all the time, and he's getting interrupted by people all the time. Dude can't even go get a food meal, you know? He just is walking, and people just, hey, I need your help. It's like he's constantly being interrupted. He's constantly being inconvenienced. But that's what the kingdom of God, that's what the kingdom of God requires of us. It requires us to be able to, at times, be inconvenienced. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to read this passage of scripture. I want you to listen to how the Apostle Paul emphasizes this idea of community. Because this is what I really do think that a challenge that we have as Americans in American culture, there's a lot of, I want to be really clear, I am, I've been, I've traveled a lot in the world, and every time I come back to the U.S., I'm like so grateful for hamburgers, and that tacos are here, and we've got freedom, and there's all these things about being American I love, but there's also things, if we're honest, we need to realize that that are not the kingdom of God, and there's certain cultural influences that we have that sometimes push up against having faith in Jesus, and one of them is this extreme individualistic identity thing we have, where we're so focused on being an individual. I mean, social media is curating narcissists, amen? Right? It's like, what are you thinking? Who cares? I mean, really, it's like we're always being the center of our universes. And so we have to take this this individualistic approach to society, and we need to filter that through what the Bible teaches. And so listen to what the Apostle Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 1. This is, I think, absolutely beautiful, and it emphasizes the plural communal nature of the church. This is what Paul says. He says, blessed be the God. To God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is, listen to this, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. He goes on to write, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything 
work out according to his plan. Do you hear that? I mean, it's like when I read Ephesians, what Paul does here is in the Greek language which he wrote this, he uses all these these plural pronouns, we and are, over and over and over again. And, and what he's doing for us is he's helping us have somewhat of a vision for what the church is supposed to be. Like, we could sit around and share stories about God's grace. I'm pretty convinced of that. Amen? How many of you have a story of God's grace? Right, where you know you would not be where you're at if it had not been for the grace of God. Right? I mean, that's what we are. We're people who have been marked by grace. Not individuals who just exist solely for ourselves, but we're, we're actually called by the Bible, by the teachings of Scripture, to be in community. And that's what, that's what Paul is doing here. And what's really funny about this sentence is in the Greek, this is actually one run-on sentence. Like, it's not like it's got commas and, and periods. It's just literally one run-on sentence of Paul just going into praise mode for what God has done for him. And so I'm really convinced of this. Individualistic faith is an enemy of biblical Christianity. Individualistic faith is an enemy of biblical Christianity. It's not that we don't each individually need to respond to Jesus. I believe that with all of my heart. But it's that once we make that personal decision, we are ushered into community. We become part of the church. We become part of, of, of God's plan for ex, ex, like giving hope away to the world that we live in. So following Jesus means that being a part of community matters and being committed to others matters. Now, here's what that does on you. Because I feel like every time we talk about being a part of community, people get a little like, whoa, that's real legalistic. You know, that's, that seems judgmental. That's not what I'm saying. Here's what I want to say. This does not mean that the church is perfect. Amen? Like, I feel like someday we should all just have a therapy session about how bad church has been for us. Like, it would be so helpful. It would help me, at least. Like, let me tell you what y'all have done to me. Okay? doesn't mean that churches aren't perfect or are perfect. It doesn't mean that this is not hard. Being in community is really hard. Amen? Dealing with people is really hard. Amen? Some of y'all are crazy. Amen? Okay. Right? It doesn't mean that we don't address those issues. I think, if anything, because the church matters... We address the issues that exist in community. And it, but what it does is it does mean that being obedient to Jesus in the Bible requires that we prioritize our faith in community. So listen to what, what the writer of Hebrews says here. I just want you to listen to this. And then we're going to wrap up. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, or she says, we don't know who wrote it. So she might say, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I don't think this is a clobber verse, and what I mean by that is when I was growing up, this verse was only used to make people feel guilty about not being in church. Like, it was, there, it was there to clobber you. Like, oh, you haven't been in church. Have you not read Hebrews 10? It's like, whoa. I don't think that's what this is. What I think this is, is I think the author is, is challenging us a bit, but he's also inspiring us to see what potential we have when we're part of community. 
Because it's in community we can actually motivate one another to what? To love and good works. That's why community, I think, matters. Let's go ahead and stand up together. Sean in the room? There is Sean. Sean is amazing, isn't he? I feel like every church. <laughs> That's not true. It's not true. What I'm trying to say is every church should have a Viking. That's all I'm trying to say. That's all I'm trying to say, okay? But let's just, if we could just stand together for a moment here and just. I don't know, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. I, I don't know, you might need to hear something completely different than somebody else in the room. But if we could just position our hearts just to hear from Him right now. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence right now. Not because you haven't been here. Because we know that the Bible teaches that you dwell inside of all of your people. That you're omnipresent. That you've been at work through everything we've done thus far. But we welcome you right now and we... We ask for you to come because we want to publicly declare our desire for you to do work right now. And so in this room, we just ask for you to be present. And I pray right now that you would just rest on people in this room that need to experience your presence this morning. So before we close in prayer, I just had this sense right now that there's just a, a number of you in this room that the word disappointment popped into my mind. That you are here this morning and, and like there's just been some disappointments in your life. And I think some of you, it's probably related to your past church experiences. But I also have this sense that some of you have just gone through just disappointment after disappointment. And, and it's been kind of in a sense just kind of hovering or... or you know, weighing you down, and everywhere you go, there's just a sense of disappointment that, that goes where you're at. And this morning, I really have a sense that, that God wants to bring some, some hope to that. He wants to bring some healing to that as well. And so just with everybody's eyes closed right now, this is between you and God. I'm just going to pray right now that, that the Lord would bring encouragement and hope to you. And so Holy Spirit, right now, you know who needs to receive hope and encouragement. So Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that those disappointments that that have been carried, that you would just bring freedom from those. Folks, there's this, there's this idea um, I've heard in the church my whole life is that we take our anxieties, our fears, our worries, our sins are whatever it is and we have to lay them at the feet of Jesus. We lay them at the foot of the cross. And so this morning, if you have, maybe you have some disappointments or have some other things, I'd love to just encourage you right now just to hold your hands out just like this. Just like I'm doing. And it's just my way of, of, of posturing my body in the same way that my heart is. And I just say, Lord, would you take those things? 
And so, Lord, right now, would you just remove any of the disappointments, any of the frustrations, any of the fears, any of the worries? There's somebody in this room who you've had some, you're just frustrated. You are just super frustrated and you've been carrying frustration with you. And, and this morning, Jesus wants to, wants to take that. So Lord, would you take the frustrations that are had in this room? Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you just breathe life right now? Breathe, breathe freedom into this room. Breathe peace into this, into this room, into the hearts of those that need your peace right now. we stand here, Lord, as a community of individuals who have been marked by grace, help us to see beyond ourselves, but to see our calling to be part of community, part of what you're doing in this city that we love, part of, of your, your hope that's being extended to the world around us, Lord. Help us to have a vision bigger than ourselves. So Lord, as we transition from this gathering, this place of worship, would you go with us and help us to be a blessing to every person that we come in contact with. And I pray now, Lord, this prayer that has been prayed by millions of Christians over time, I pray that you would give us wisdom, courage, and kindness. That in the world that we live in, that we would have wisdom, courage, and kindness, and that we would stand out as people who have been totally transformed by you and your kingdom. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people who agreed said, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've got kids, make sure to make your way and check them out down there. Otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday, 10 a.m. God bless all of you.